I am Planta on the Line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. A new poetry collection, Friends Without Bodies, is a sharp, sometimes amusing, always perceptive record of one writer's COVID-19 pandemic experience. Brendan McLeod is a performing artist, and when gigs got cancelled in March 2020, he started writing. The pieces in the book are are poetry that look at the experience a lot of us had with isolation, fear, loneliness, hysteria, and emotional upheaval. They're a great capsule of what what happened to uh, its author and the world around him, us essentially, riding through the waves of the virus. Mr. McLeod, who joins me now, navigates the angst he and so many of us felt, as well as chronicles the trauma of not just the pandemic, but the uh, former president of the United States, the mass shooting in the spring of 2020 in Nova Scotia, the George Floyd killing, and so many other shared experiences that run parallel to the pandemic. I'll ask Brendan about his experience dating, as well as whether we're better as a society, culture, talking about mental health. Brendan McLeod is a writer, theater artist, and musician. He is the founder of The Fugitives, the acclaimed folk group signed by Borealis Records. Visit his website at brendanmcleod.ca where you can read about his work and career. This new book, his debut poetry collection, is published by Right Bloody North. He joined me from Toronto last week. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Brendan McLeod. Mr. McLeod, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. Um, As I was telling you just before we started, um, I found the book incredibly engaging. Um, I enjoyed a lot of it. There was, there was some parts I didn't enjoy, and I, I think what, what um, I didn't enjoy was, were some of the parts that reminded me about how um, there were a lot of things early on that we didn't know about the pandemic, a lot of things that we were worried about. Um, there were a lot of things that, uh, in retrospect, were wrong. Um, a lot was was going on around us at the time that didn't have to do with the pandemic that was bad. Um what was uh, your experience in terms of putting this book together? Because these were pieces that you wrote along the way. When when you're putting a book like this together, you're you're looking back at everything you've written and then picking things. Um, what was your feeling looking back at the last two years or so? Yeah, I guess it's it's kind of nuanced because a lot of even though we were still stuck in our houses for a lot of it, a yeah. lot happened like sociologically. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Um, as far as like the writing of the book, you know, when I was writing them originally, it wasn't even meant to be a collection. So especially at the beginning, they're just, uh, they were a little bit more rambly, a little bit more panicky. And so, um, when we finally decided to do a collection and I went back and I was editing them with an editor and kind of selecting pieces, you try to ride that fine line of like, you know, not putting a garbage poem out into the world, but also, you know, kind of being true to the energy and spirit with which those, especially the first poems were written. Uh, which was just kind of like a panic, garbled, like rambly, a little bit more rambly, trying to make sense of the world. So uh, I think we succeeded in like, yeah, I think the the first section especially is a little bit like, whoa, what's happening? Yeah. Um, which, you know, was was exactly what everybody was feeling, like what is happening? I mean, it's a pretty, we, now everybody's done it, and we've talked about it a lot, and we're kind of like normalizing it in our brains. But the idea that, you know, all sports would stop and that you would close the borders and that you would stop all travel and then you would not gather. I mean, these were enormous upheavals in most people's lives. So, uh, yeah, I think it kind of transports people back, or ideally it can transport you back to some of those things. And when you look back at at, at your writing over the last two years, what's that like? I mean, you're obviously seeing someone who is um, concerned, who is worried, um, does some of the worry, uh, in retrospect, seem unnecessary? Uh, 
No, I don't think so. Like, uh, I think my vibe with the pandemic has always been uh, kind of surprised at the lack of um, energy and effort we were willing to put in. I was surprised. Like, I don't think humanity is like an amazing, you know, collection. Like, you know, I know that there's problems. But I also think I was a little bit more, before the pandemic, I think I was a little more positive about... um, like at least the social structures, I don't think sure. humans are bad, but the social structures I think have proven really inept at dealing yeah, with the pandemic, exactly. and I think yep. that problem continues. Yeah, that's the thing that um, um, the, the part that I enjoyed about the book as well was the sort of um, we believed a lot of people, and there mm-hmm. weren't very many people in um, who who were doubting what what people were telling us. You know, the people that we 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 needed to listen to say. Um, the, the um, sort of the, the doubters and the, and the um, deniers, if you will, they, they came a little later. And so in those early months, um, it was, it was kind of nice that we all sort of fell in line. And, and yeah. we felt more of a society then, I think, than we do now. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I'm surprised. I think I'm also was surprised by how quick, like that denial and doubt, um, the force of it, and how quickly it took hold, and how much of it is, I think, at the root, is a little bit selfish. Yeah. And kind of like we're just. I, I'm surprised by kind of like the lack of empathy we still have right now. Like mm-hmm. the pandemic is ongoing. There's vulnerable communities that are still at risk, and people are just, you know, acting as if. It's just business is normal. So I think that's very strange. I think it's very strange and uh, unfortunate. Indeed, indeed. You, you mentioned from time to time uh, throughout the, the, the collection um, uh, the trauma of the era. I mean, you, you mentioned the former president, a lot of the ugly rhetoric around us uh, that we've just alluded to. Um, you remind us that there were, there were other things that happened um, uh, during the pandemic, the, the George Floyd situation certainly. Uh, the mass shooting in Nova Scotia. Um, you, I think you mentioned this a moment ago. There, there was a lot. Of, there were a lot of things that happened the last two years, just other than the, the, the COVID pandemic, right? Yeah, and I wonder sometimes if that's always the case. Like, uh, you know, it's two <laughs> right. years is a long time, and we yeah. just happen to notice it more, especially when you're kind of journaling about it, or if it really was, you know, a different time. And I don't really have an answer for that, and I'm sure history will, you know, tell us the answer to that. But especially, yeah, when you're chronicling it and you're going, you're like, whoa, there's been a lot of transforma- transformative kind of social moments. Yeah, yeah. So, so March 2020, let's, let's go back to, to that time. Um, you work as a writer, as a musician. Um, everything changed in, uh, in, in that, you know, it seems like a couple of days in that month where, where everyone just seems stunned by what was happening. Um, what did you expect would happen? I mean, I know I know you were out of wor- a lot of work, a lot of gigs in the sort, but but did you think it was going to be as as long as it turned out to be? Or I think I'm somewhere in the middle, like where I thought it was going to be longer than some people were expecting, because yeah. some people were talking about like a few weeks, and I was sure. like, I don't see this as a couple weeks. But I mean, I I did not. I remember my cousin sent out a thing that they were like. You know, how long do you think masking will be around? Uh, how how long do you think social distancing will be around? And I think the top was like someone had guessed like 18 months or something like that. And everyone was making fun of that person on the thread like, aha, it's not going to be 18 months. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here we are, right? So I definitely didn't foresee it going on as long. I actually don't know if, <laughs> if you know, I think my last poem is day 100, day 100, 533. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm really glad I didn't know the scope of the book I was getting into because if I'd known that, I probably would have quit before I even started. <laughs> so it's not. It's nice that I didn't know how long I was going to have to write poetry for. 
The other thing I noticed as I was reading the book was, it, were, were you actually writing fewer pieces as the pandemic wore on? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of true to the energy. Like, the the book is like, there's more in the first two waves, more mm, poems. Right. And then it kind of got, yeah, it got more sporadic. I started doing other projects. Because the first two waves, the poetry collection was like my singular focus for right. whatever reason. Uh, and then, you know, life started to creep back in, and I wrote a little bit less. But I was still, you know... I was still tracking it as I went. And where were you through all of this? Uh, I kind of changed places. I went, I was like, originally I was like in a house in Toronto all by myself. Uh, and oddly, uh, <laughs> I met like my partner. Um, it kind of tracks that too. Uh, we went on like our first date, like right after the pandemic started. And then we like virtually, we just met through friends. And then we just started virtually talking. And now we live together in a house in like a rural community outside of Toronto. And we've lived together for a couple of years. So, I always laugh because we have like a hilarious relationship because we know each other really well from being in tight confines with each other. But we've also like, you know, never gone to a movie theater together and been in a party bigger than 30 people, you know, like all these strange <laughs> yeah. things. We've never been to a rock concert together. So uh, we have all this other learning to do. That'll be fun one, one day. <laughs> yeah. So, so before you met your, your partner, what was the experience uh, dating during the pandemic like? <laughs> Uh, you know, it didn't happen very much. It wasn't like, uh, there was, you know, you used to kind of talk to people online a bit, but, uh, I wasn't really dating at the very beginning because it's just, uh, you know, it's mostly just online conversations you're having. So there wasn't, there wasn't much of that going on because everything kind of stopped. I found some of the, the online conversations you were having, um, just amusing. Some of them were laugh out loud funny, actually. Some of them, which you depict in the book. Um, it really does speak to, to, um, how awkward we are when we're seeking a connection, um, and especially when when the, the situations changed in 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 the in the sense that that we're, one's living in a pandemic, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, that was. I mean, those are just put in there exactly to kind of be like, you know, Tinder, for instance, is always weird, but it's even weirder when uh, you know you are like can't actually ever meet in, in person, so it's just like this online conversation that, yeah, you know, not. <laughs> Not a, it's not a great legitimate way to, to uh, meet another human being. You, you mentioned something um, in the book that, that I forgot about, and I think it was Dr. Fauci who said that, that we were never going to shake hands with people again. Two, yeah. two years and change um, since the beginning of the pandemic. What's your personal situation over handshaking? <laughs> I mean, I handshake now. Yeah. Um, uh, and I have for a bit because I've been more on the, like, you know, it's not really transmitted through fomites yeah. as much as aerosol particles. So I don't really think that's as big of a deal. Uh, so, yeah, I've been handshaking for a while, and I think it's great to have handshaking back in the <laughs> in the, in the the mix. Yeah, that, that reminded me about how when I heard that, uh, I don't know how long ago he said that, two two years or, 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 or less um, ago, um, how I thought that I would never do it again as well. Yeah, um, yeah, and then how quickly um, it came back, and and how we need it, I guess you know. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, touch is touch is good. Yeah. I mean, we're social animals, so that's like it's like that's a whole other problem of like what 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 our brains have undergone in the last two years is probably not something we were meant to undergo. And then it also reminded me about. Um, but by the way, back to handshaking. I thought it was a good thing. Um, and not just because of COVID, but because of, you know, the, the spread of like the, the, the common cold, if you will. Sure. Um, and then the hand washing, of course, I thought was, was, was good as well. I mean, I haven't had a cold in two years. Um, 
but the other thing that we were doing that that um, you remind us of in the book, you know, the the, the um, you just you just mentioned it, uh, you know, the, for the longest time the WHO didn't think that it, that aerosol transmission was a significant thing. Yeah, I we, mean, it's still going on this kind of inane yeah. dismissal of that, and I think I can only think it's because the structures like they like ventilation is very expensive, and people don't want to have to like right. outfit yeah. all the buildings in the world with different ventilation. But I mean, what's hilarious to me is that like it's not going to go away until we do that, so we might as well do it. You know, like it's just it's just absurd that uh, I'm I'm always that's probably my biggest beef is when I hear any serious doctor and like a medical health uh, officer in like kind of position of power still kind of being like, well, you know, and waffling on the fact that it's aerosol transmitted, even though that is like a scientific fact, like we have kind of so much proof, you know, so I just don't know. It's just a ridiculous kind of hamster wheel to me. And then you remind us as well that we were washing your groceries at, at one point. <laughs> I know. Isn't it wild to yeah. think about? Yeah, yeah. yeah, it was like, I remember watching like a YouTube instructional video on like how to wash my groceries after I came back. And I was like <laughs> taking notes and acting all serious about it. Yeah, you know, <laughs> hilarious. Have you been to a buffet yet? <laughs> uh, I have not been to a buffet, I think. No, I don't think I've been to a buffet yet. So I remember early on in the pandemic, there there was a video. I think it was put up by NHK in, in Japan, about uh, showing how um, uh, a virus was spread at a at a buffet, and yeah. and uh, it scared the hell out of me. It was like watching a horror movie, you know, because yeah. they they depicted the, the the sort of the spray of of people's breath and then the touch on the utensils and the sword. And um, by the end of the thing, everybody had you know this on them, right? Or they yeah. inhaled it. Um, I went to to a thing in March, and um, I was I was worried going into it, you know, a couple of days before. But then um, nothing no, nothing happened, and um, <laughs> I don't know if I was glad or or, or just happy or, or um, I guess relieved was 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 the thing that that as, a, as you know because then you know the days after you're also worried too, right? Because it, yeah, it takes exactly. so I was I, the, the two weeks after I went to this event. Uh, I was, I was just wondering, you know, what was going to happen. I thought, you know, imminent death, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that's a weird thing we've had to, and it still goes on, right? Like sometimes if you want to meet up with someone, you're Mm. like, oh, where have you been? Have you been masking? Like there's this whole dance you have to do. And I think uh, my partner always talks about how um, it just kind of is exhausting, you know, having to have this like constant dialogue about other people's safety, which is not something we ever had to have before. You know, if someone had, like, a, a, a problem with their health, you wouldn't be like, oh, am I going to get it? You know, it would just kind of be left to your own. It would be kind of more private about it. So public health has become a little – that's an interesting thing. It's like our health has kind of been more intertwined on, like, a conversational level. And probably some of that's good, and some of it's really exhausting and tiring. Yeah, indeed. It's, uh, some of it is good. You're right. Um, it, you know, why not think about another person other than yourself, yeah. right? Um, what what uh, Brandon can poetry afford you in terms of expression that other forms of art can't? I mean, there's a um, when I read the poems in the book, there are a lot where it's a very solitary experience, obviously, because you're alone. Um, was it the easiest form, say, to, to, to write? I think it. I think it was the quickest, and uh, that's mm. not to say that poems are. Uh, sometimes they take like way too long. It's, sure. it's annoying, but um, you know, you're just trying to wrestle kind of uh, one thought a day. 
And uh, that would be a nice outlet for me. Is It's kind of like a song that way where you're not, you know, if you're writing a novel, you're taking on usually like 17 topics. And some poems can, but a lot of poems are just about, you know, you're sitting around the dinner table, you have this experience. And this is really what the poetry is trying to do is just distill and crystallize this moment. And that's very hard to do. And so I liked that, you know, I could just, all this stuff was happening like in the world, even though I was sitting there. And I was just one, I could just wrestle one thing a day, you know, or one thing every four days, and then I could come back to it. But it was just always just this one subject that I was trying to crystallize every time. So most of the poems are about, like, one thing, and that's me trying to, like, figure out that one thing. And so I, I liked poetry for that. It was nice. And so when you were trying to figure out that one thing, did you find that poetry uh, allowed you uh, the chance to do that? Did you get to the end of the tunnel, if you will, did you, or find the light at the end of the tunnel? that You did contend with what you... Um, or did you overcome what you were trying to contend, say? Well, yeah. I mean, some. My, I remember this. I did a workshop once with this poet named Barry Dempster, who's great. And he said, and I'll, I'll never forget. He said, "Every poem should have a discovery in it." And I think he, I think he was referring to the author in that case. Like an author should be trying to figure something out. And I always think that if I'm not trying to figure something out in the poem, or I already have the answer, then it's not going to make for a great poem. So sometimes the answer will be different than I expected, or it'll be an answer to a different question. <laughs> yeah. But uh, at least there is, I think it's always nice to try to struggle for discovery. And now I try to write poems exclusively about that. Like if I'm not, if I know something, I guess there's no reason to write the poem. Like I, that's, mm. that's just like writing an essay or something. But if you don't know something, a poem's a good, that's a good place to start. So there's obviously the, 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 the personal benefit of it. When you're writing, do you see the, the benefit to another person, perhaps, the reader? Yeah, hopefully, you know, um, it's nice with these poems because it's like, uh, I mean, I won't ever read that book again now. Kind of like if I make a music album, I don't really tend to uh, ever go back and listen to it. Like, because I've already spent that whole time in the studio or this time at my desk, like thinking, thinking, writing, writing, writing. Yeah. And now I'll just see the flaws, right? So this is kind of the nice part of the book where I don't have to ever go back to it and I can like just kind of listen to others and figure out and hear what they had to think about it or something like that, you know, so it's this nice... I like the process of giving it over. Yeah, you know the the other thing that I, as I, I finished the book that I that I thought was really um, uh, was the gift of the book was that that here I was reading about someone else's experience during the pandemic. I was I was understanding what what he, what he went through, comparing what my experience was like. Some of it was similar. Some of it was was definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and realizing how necessary that 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 idea of um, say reading or listening to somebody else is. Yeah, that's awesome. I love to hear that. I mean, uh, when I was talking to some of the publicists and the publisher about this, and we were like, how do you position this book? Because people, I think, don't want to talk about the pandemic or kind of sick and tired of it. And uh, I totally get that. I mean, I'm sick and tired of it, too, especially having written about it for two years. But I do think we're in a tricky position, like, societally, where if we do not talk about those two years and we just, like, sweep it under the rug, we are going to miss the chance at some, like, big revelations that we could have, structurally, personally, individually, interpersonally, on all levels. Because you can't just wipe two years under the rug. You have to talk about it, right? Like, we have to yeah. discuss what's going on. And even if that's, like, it doesn't have to be down and jury, too. Like, we can make lots of jokes and, you know, have a light time with it. But we, one thing we shouldn't do is not talk about it. I think that would be a very bad, bad thing. Yeah, I I, um, I I think it's such a valuable uh, uh, experience to do that because I think um, I hate to say this, but I mean the next pandemic will will forget what got us through this one, right? Yeah, for sure. And that's the thing. It's like if you don't learn the history, you're going to repeat it. I mean, that's just a 
a truism. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you think, um, um, because you alluded to, the, to the, this throughout the book uh, about your own personal mental health, but in terms of talking about mental health in general today as a society, as a culture, do you think we're better now than we were two years ago? Uh, hard to say because we haven't, like, the gathering's just starting. But I do do, like, a one-person show about my mental health experience, and I just got back from tour with that. Uh-huh. Um, and I've done two tours of it since the pandemic ended, or not ended, since mass gatherings have been allowed. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I would say that for sure, I think, from what I can glean, the last two years has made us be a little bit more, um attentive to what's going on in people's brains because I think people have been left alone with their brains mm-hmm. for two years. So I think people know that if someone doesn't have like a, you know, is a little bit neurodivergent, then they've had two years to just kind of like not to be in their house alone with that. So I think that, yes, that people are, I would say, and I hope that it continues that way, that we're a little bit more um, empathetic about those kind of struggles. Absolutely, yeah. What was it like the first time that you, you were back on stage there? Oh, well, the band between, like, one of the waves, we were in Europe, and that was, like, the first wave. It was before Omicron, so things had really opened up in Europe. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it was by far the greatest tour I've ever been on as far as, like, you know, most people going to the concerts, it was their first concert back, and it was our first concert back as a band. And so that kind of moment is really amazing and very, like, yeah, kind of undescribable. Just an amazing, amazing experience. And at the same time, I still to this day feel weird about it because I'm like, you know, um, I don't know if, like, I hope that those, like, we try to be as safe as possible, but I hope those gatherings were safe. And there's always that in your back of your mind, like you don't want to be contributing to the problem. So uh, I think that'll be just kind of, kind of back and forth we all have with ourselves for years, yeah, probably. Indeed, indeed. Um, do you still write poetry every day? Uh, no, not every day, but I have, like, definitely this book, like, reinvigorated, like, a, a cycle for me, so now I'm doing a cycle of poems on other stuff, you know, but, uh, um, I am, I would say, writing poetry pretty regularly, yes. And how do you do it? I mean, I'm, I'm always curious to know about how, how people write. Um, I would assume that you're of a generation that, that's used to the computer, but do, do, you, do you ever, do you ever write, um, uh, say, on, uh, using pen and paper? Oddly, I songwrite a lot using pen and paper. I don't. Mm. I think that's because like I'm just using usually a banjo or a guitar, so I'm kind of away from my desk anyway. So I'm got an instrument, and I kind of. But my handwriting is the worst. Like I know this sounds dumb, but like <laughs> my handwriting is so bad and so trashy. It looks like a lawyer times a doctor times just awful, <laughs> awful. That it's just like not an aesthetically pleasing venture to be watching my like chicken scratch. Uh, so I tend to look. I, start, I tend to uh, do poems at the computer, and I think I'm like uh, I'm like definitely a spitballer. Like I'll just do like three pages of blah 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 blah, and then I'm like uh, okay, you know, sit with these three pages and try to hone this into like seven lines of goodness. I'm that guy. Writing is rewriting, isn't it? For me, it is, yeah. I mean, you know, I hear about these people with processes where, like, lines just come to them like thunderbolts, yeah. and yeah, I've yeah. just never been, like, I never walk down the street, and I'm like, ah, oh, here's a perfect metaphor for this situation. Uh, <laughs> metaphors always come, like, the last thing in the poem. Yeah. Um, so so you, you, you mentioned a moment ago that you, you haven't really looked back at, at what's in Friends Without Bodies. Um, but w- when you do get the chance to look back, I'm sure you, you have or and you will, um, when you look at yourself, I mean, are you better off today than you were two years ago? 
Um, yeah, I mean, because I've like, you know, I fell really hard in love, and I think that's kind of a transformative thing. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as, uh, and I really appreciated like the the process of writing that book. I think taught me a lot about. Uh, my creative process, and also just going through, like, most of my stuff is performance-oriented, so your audience is kind of, like, directly in front of you, and you kind of can shift accordingly because you're watching their reaction. Uh, so this whole thing of publishing and, and this, like, kind of really slow and I would say sometimes arduous process of putting this into print uh, really taught me some skills about... Um, you know, just like the long battle of it. And I, I think I'm here for that a little bit more. Like, I think I found it really, really um, satisfying at the end to look at that book and be like, man, I worked really hard on that book. And like, even if it's not perfect, it's like, that's the best I could do at this time. So that's a really, it was a nice feeling. Yeah. And and the, the idea of being uh, more resilient, I think you, you feel that in yourself as well, don't you? I think so. Yeah, definitely. And also just kind of a longer view of things. I think Probably everybody has that now, but, like, you know, I used to go kind of, like, gig, 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 like, performing, like, you know, so many times a year, and you're very short-term oriented. You're like, what am I doing tomorrow? What am I doing tomorrow? And then, you know, this was a chance, this book was a chance to, like, you know, do something over the course of a couple years and really watch it kind of blossom as a brand-new thing, and that really makes me want to do that with other projects, like, take them kind of on the longer view. Yeah, yeah. Um, Brandon, it's such an engaging fun book and and it reminds us of obviously of the bad parts of the last two years but it, uh, we find the beauty in in the good parts not just in your life but in ours um congratulations on the book and and continue good luck with it i appreciate your time today hey thanks so much for reading it and uh talking to me it's great the website for more is at brendanmcleod.ca the book is called friends without bodies it's published by uh, right bloody north it's uh, author Brendan McLeod. Join me on the line from Toronto and Vancouver. I'm Joseph Planta.